You're listening to Fundraising Illuminated, a podcast where development officers, advancement services professionals, and other fundraising leaders offer their views on subjects related to fundraising. I'm your host, Erin Lynch-Moran, a partner and co-founder of The Solus Group. We are a fundraising analytics and data modeling firm. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Please be sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Hello, and welcome to the first episode ever of Fundraising Illuminated, the podcast by The Solus Group. We are so happy to have you listening today. So thanks for joining us. We have a terrific guest, David Lively who is currently the Senior Associate Vice President for Alumni Relations and Development at Northwestern University. But you may know David as well for his book, Managing Major Gift Fundraisers, A Contrarian's Guide. In the book, David demonstrates his method for managing major gift officers and evaluating their performance on certain metrics. And we're going to be talking with him today about the metrics he uses. We're also going to talk with him about the new research he's been working on that explores a concept he calls net fundraiser value. David's research has been showing that the net value of fundraisers increases over time, making fundraiser tenure a key component for the success of any development program. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to ask you about metrics. Recently, I heard someone say that metrics are good for measuring performance, but they do nothing to improve performance. And that kind of surprised me because in my experience, I've seen performance increase as a result of implementing proper metrics. What do you think? Do metrics improve performance? Oh, I definitely think it helps improve performance. Um, it may not make you a great fundraiser. Right. But people, you know, what gets measured gets done. So if you tell people to get visits, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go get visits. Right. It's a lot easier to get visits than it is to raise major gifts, by the way. This is why a lot of people used to do it. You know, we used to call that a, a quote, nonprofit metric. By the way, metrics aren't new. We always had metrics. Metrics were 120 visits and some prescribed sum of money. Right. Those are the metrics. So I love how we always talk like metrics. Well, do you employ metrics? No, no. Our metrics are, you know, our goals are just 120 visits. I'm like, well, those are metrics, by the way. They're yeah. just not really good ones, in my opinion. Right. That's the, that's the first thing, which sort of cracks me up. I've almost tried to move away from the term metrics because I think it, it's so overused in this business. Um, mm-hmm. they, people forget what it's about. What I would say is we have a ton of data in this business. There's so much, there's so much information, so many numbers you can look at. What matters is separating, you know, the signal from the noise, which ones matter right? and which ones matter more than others. Right? So what you want to do, if you look at it, I look at it two ways. If I'm looking at a 12 month period, which we all have to do. If you work at a company or a university or some nonprofit, you have to find a way. How do you evaluate your employees every year? Maybe, maybe some people are are lucky and they don't they don't have that time frame. Maybe it's longer, but a twelve month period is a very short period of time to measure performance, particularly when you're talking fundraising, because most major gifts, if you're really working um, in earnest to raise the best possible gift, that's really like a really extraordinary gift. It may take a lot longer than twelve months, and you may make the ask one year and the gift closes another year. You know, this is one of the things I don't like about dollars as a metric, which which is, I remember at the point, I mean, at Northwestern, one year I had, I think, a $60 million year, and the next year I had like a $2 million year. (laughs) So does that mean I went from being really good to really lousy? Mm -hmm. I don't think so, you know, because the number of major gifts I raised each year was about the same. In fact, I think I may have raised more major gifts, though they were much smaller, the year I raised less money. Right. And the thing is, you know, 
fundraising is to use a, to use a technical term, lumpy. You know, <laughs> it just it doesn't happen that way. So what we try to do is, if you're looking at short-term performance, I prefer. Uh, we have this weighted scorecard that we use that says, here are the things I value, and I'll I'll tell you in order which ones I care about. How many major gifts have you raised in the in the last twelve months? Right. Mm-hmm. How many major gift solicitations have you made over the last twelve months? And then how many dollars have you raised from those major gifts that you raised? And I look at dollars, and I, I debated this for years. I value it much lower on our weighted scorecard than we do asks and gifts. The very reason I mentioned earlier is that it can be a really fickle metric because I, you can't control how much someone gives. You can't control the answer. You can only control the ask. Right. right? And the other thing is most major donors will come back and become repeat major donors. So the first time someone makes you a gift, it might be a test gift. It might be the first time they're giving you to see how you do with it. The next one will ideally be much bigger. And so I'm not going to punish people for trying to engage new, new prospects who might make a significant gift down the road. So we have to incentivize that. Beyond that, the only thing I really care about are qualification visits, because I think we need to continue to meet with and qualify and, frankly, disqualify a lot of prospects. So we're really constantly thinking in a dynamic fashion how to prioritize the collective portfolio and raise the most money. Absolutely. The only thing I don't care about is visits. um, And I will debate with people about this um, all the time. And my feeling is that we, we, we count visits for only one reason. That's because fundraisers are lazy. And I'll admit to that myself. I hate having to file contact reports. I will do them by voicemail sometimes to my program assistant because I just hate having to sit and type them at the end of the day when I'm on the road, I'm traveling and exhausted. But they're really important. And if we didn't ask people to file them, they probably wouldn't. And that's the institutional memory. So right. we count them for that very purpose, but they're weighted so low as to be negligible. So that's the 12. We also we also count collaboration in some creative ways where people are assisting on solicitations. And I think that's important to incentivize good collaboration. So people, you know, because metrics can no matter, no matter what they are, they can create sharp elbows. And we want to we want to mitigate that as much as possible. But let me just say this. If I could get away from a one year performance appraisal and I could look at something over three, much less actually more like five years, I would look at something completely different. And we're working on something here. I've been, I've been toying with a new concept, um, something I call uh, net fundraiser value. And the point of this is to try to understand what is the value of fundraisers relative to the costs, right? Mm-hmm. Over a period of three or five or even eight years, might even be better, three years of ramp up because you're not really a mature, efficient fundraiser in the first three years as you're learning the systems, meeting the donors, understanding the systems, the language, the the acronyms, everything you need to learn at your new institution, it takes a while. You know, this is a big complex place, especially like Northwestern, you know, but, but after three years, give me five years of really pushing hard. And at the, at the end of that period, in my opinion, I should be at a, a level of maturity and efficiency in my, in my job that I can do even more. And all those donors who gave major gifts the first five or eight years will probably make second, third or fourth major gifts the next five to eight years. And ideally they'll be much bigger. Right. So, I like looking at what is the real value of fundraisers in terms of looking at them over multiple years. And in that case, visits surely don't matter. Qualifications surely don't matter in that sense. And dollars do matter a whole lot more, right? Because then you start to see which fundraisers have the ability to work on bigger gifts. But you also can figure out which fundraisers are raising more gifts because I've been thinking about this a lot. If you raise more gifts and those donors are going to come back and be repeat major donors and those next gifts are going to be larger. 
then the value of that fundraiser's work is exponentially large. And so there's incredible value to fundraisers who, who will persist in a job in an organization and get promoted and promoted um, over the years. The value is extraordinary. I, I tend to think um, that it's probably a greater value. Losing a fundraiser is a, is a bigger cost than losing an academic leader like a dean because the person who's managing those relationships, the new person has to come in and is very inefficient. It helps. That's why I like other people to know my prospects for that reason, so that those relationships can persist at least in some fashion. But that level of trust that's built up, especially for really great fundraiser with certain donors, it's incalculable in terms of value. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to work on some, some ways of thinking about that. But um, that's the long-term perspective on this. Which, and if you can be an organization that retains, promotes, and rewards your very best people, you should be looking at the long term because, you know, if you lose someone, we've, you know, we've lost some great fundraisers to some really great institutions the last 12, 18 months. And I'm really thrilled for those fundraisers and I hate seeing them go because I know their value is extraordinary to this institution. Um, and so I think that's something in terms of performance metrics over time, we, we take for granted, quite right. honestly. I think what you're making an argument for is a concept of whoever is managing the office, whoever is managing the major gift team specifically, needs to look at that like that's their portfolio because that's how you maximize the value, right? I have seen to compliment you and many other people I've worked with, fortunately, I've seen a lot of people who are you know, kind, respectful, you know, there's a coaching approach, that kind of thing will pay off uh, mightily. And the reverse, I've unfortunately also seen where people, you know, they don't treat their fundraisers well, they're, you know, dismissive, disrespectful, they take their prospects, yada, yada. Those fundraisers are gone within a year and they never can get the traction to raise as much money as they could because you can't run an office when you're constantly going through major gift officers like that. Yeah, you can't. And the other thing is we, you know, and this is not unique to us, obviously, um, but we always promote people into management. And, you know, there's just a lot of people who would be better not managing fundraisers. Some of them are just aren't good managers, but others just like, why, why bog them down in administrative stuff? Right. And we don't have enough roles that are what I would call in, individual contributor roles where we allow people to get promotions into roles where they can make more money, have a better title and raise a lot, continue to raise a lot more gifts, you know, and every time I get promoted, you know, my goals get higher. So I'm, that, that should be something we do. Like maybe it's your dollars get higher as you, as you get promoted into new levels. And it's really hard because we expect people to be player coaches. And, and I certainly expect that of people on my team who are managing that fundraisers, but some are just frankly better than others. And that's something else to, to consider, which is, how do you measure performance of a manager? How do you also identify people and allow them to, to move up within the organization without that responsibility? And how do you encourage it in certain cases? Because other people will think they're really good or they think they need to be managers in order to move up. And so they end up doing it and they're not good and it ends up hurting their career because they don't have the skills or, the, or really the interest or passion to do so. Right. So uh, it's just it's a complicated thing, but I think we do way too much of that. And when you're a big, complex organization like this, you should be able to do that. Like if you're a small shop, it's a lot harder. You don't have the, you don't have the ability to have you know, that, that opportunity. But in a big place with we're, we're 300 people in our entire alumni relations and development team, we should be able to figure that out. 
Right. And, you know, some places are much bigger than us. And so they certainly should be able to figure that out. Right. Totally agree. I hope you found that interesting. At Solus, we're big believers in two things, data analysis and investing in diverse and talented teams. So of course, we loved hearing all about David's research showing why supporting and developing your team is not only the right thing to do, but also the smart thing to do from a business standpoint. We'd love to hear what you think about the research, so drop us a line. Send us an email at podcast at thesolusgroup.com and let us know whether this rings true for you. We hope you'll join us next week when we talk with David about his somewhat controversial beliefs about the optimal number of prospects to have in a major gift portfolio. To make sure you catch the episode, please be sure to subscribe. Thank you for listening to Fundraising Illuminated. We hope you'll join us for more engaging conversations on development topics. This podcast is produced by The Solus Group, a proud Tableau partner and fundraising analytics firm. At Solus, we take the stress out of fundraising by helping our clients find their best prospects, manage their portfolios proactively, and make sure they take advantage of fundraising opportunities through the use of analytics tools. If you'd like to be a guest on Fundraising Illuminated, or if you'd like to share your thoughts on what our guests have to say, please visit our website at www.thesolusgroup.com and click on the link that says podcast. Thank you again for joining us and have a great rest of your day.